everyone. How exciting is this? I get to do this with my husband. <laughs> Four months. Four months. Thank you. So don't ask us any questions. We're still learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you. This has been such a sweet just day. Man, mm -hmm. if you guys weren't here uh, for the pre-service prayer, a lot of the ministry that we do happens there. So mm -hmm. just uh, an encouragement. If you have time and can be here early, I was almost like, man, do we even need to yeah. teach tonight? But um, we're going to. We're going to get into God's word. So first, I'm just going to jump off um, from Luke. We're going to be in our Bibles. So if we're you have them, Bible. get them out. We're going to read some scripture tonight. Woo! Okay. And I'm in Luke 14, chapter 14, verse 16. But before we begin, um, God, I just want to ask that you are so evident in um, just every word that is spoken tonight, yeah. that you help us steward the gift of adoption and um, proclaim it and advance it and just make it go even further than this room, that yes. you would seed this word deep in our hearts. We trust you. Um, and the word that you're going to speak tonight. Thank you for the opportunity of family. Thank you that we get to gather around the table in a little bit and um, in practice what we preach. Yes. Um, in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So verse 16 in chapter 14. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell all those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go see it, so please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out, whatever that means. Please excuse me. <laughs> I don't have context for that. Um, still another said, I just got married. So I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets, into the alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Mm. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Hmm. Jesus tells this bone-chilling parable around a table after just teaching a group of Pharisees how to conduct themselves as part of the family of the kingdom of God. Okay, sorry. So, um, before I go any further into this, I just felt compelled to share just kind of my heart for family and our heart for family. Um, just, I, I come from a beautiful family. Um, some of you have got to meet them, and they truly are one of the coolest things about me, as I tell people, is my family. But I 
throughout college had to had to open up my heart to God speaking this idea that you're actually part of my family and that's actually the best thing about you. I actually think that's the best thing about all of us is that we're part of his family. So even if you come from a really super rad family, like think of the coolest people you could think of. Like if they know Jesus, if they're in God's family, that is the coolest thing about them. And, and so the last couple of years, um, just been working on honing in on that message and definitely something Sam and I want to do together. And one of the reasons I want to go into uh, marriage and family therapy is that so much flows out of family, right? So um, the way we talk, the way we act, the way we laugh, cry, the way we love, the way we approach conflict, the way we treat money, sexuality, marriage, and our culture, and even our spirituality can be traced back to some kind of um, family dynamic likely. It's often a major source of identity, a system of support, a financial lifeline for some people, hey, a home-cooked meal for some people, and way too many baby pictures. Never. His family. <laughs> she said you want to see all the pictures of Caleb as you little, do. you have to go to his parents' house. <laughs> I was a lot cuter back then. We need family. We do. Uh, one study uh, that I read this week suggests that in areas where there was a higher proportion of single-person f- homes, meaning just people living on their own, there were higher rates of theft, assault, robbery, homicide, even when ruling out racial, economic, and family disruption factors. So people living on their own for their own purposes without the the binding love and responsibility that family kind of brings naturally. But a quick survey of just about everyone here would say that a lot of a lot of negative things can come from family as well. Um, some of our greatest insecurities or relational pains, our anxiety, depression, all of it speaks to this kind of kink in the water hose that is our life. The same study um, goes on to suggest that even criminality can be linked. So the likelihood that someone would become a criminal eventually later in life could be linked to some kind of marital discord, divorce, abuse, neglect, or even just a lack of affection, which I thought was um, crazy. Interpret that data how you might, but I think it says that family is a central part of our society. But I think tonight, more importantly, what we want to suggest is that um, not just any kind of family, right? So there's a specific family that we've been invited to. And that's like, if you don't hear anything else from us, that is just the truth of Jesus. And I think he spoke about it. I think Paul spoke about it. So um, we're going to get into that. Oh, okay. There we go. So, so family is the image of God. Someone said it in prayer, but in the beginning, um, when God created man, he said it's not good for man to be alone, and how much that's proved true. But family is not um, just the image of God. It's also the vehicle through which he wants to bless the nations. So Tyler, a few weeks ago, 
uh, talked about Abraham and the promise given to him that he would bear a son, him and his wife, uh, late in their years, that they would bear a son, but then through them, um, through a descendant, they would bless the nations. And we know now, hindsight 2020, that that was Jesus. So Jesus is the blessing to the nations. And he's still doing that right now through his church, and that's us. So um, for time purposes, we're not going to go into the story of Abraham. I think Tyler did a great job a couple weeks ago on that. But if you want to flip open to Romans 4, and if you have ability to bookmark it, also Romans 8. And while you're going there, we should keep in mind that this family that was once bound to a specific ethnicity and specific rituals through Jesus has been opened up to everybody, which is like the greatest. Paul refers to it as the mystery when he speaks about it, um, that the inclusion of the Gentiles, this, that Jesus um, foreshadowed that he was going to do this. Abraham foreshadowed that he was going to do this. And then here we are in Romans, and they're trying to figure out what that really means for them. But it's a new humanity altogether. It's not exchange some good things, but keep some. It's altogether, even the good stuff God wants to take and give us a new humanity. So, so like I said, um, and the funny thing is that Paul himself was Jewish. So he's in a place where, coming from the line of Abraham, he uh, would have reason to kind of, I don't know, like keep that going and reinforce this idea that, oh, certain rituals keep you in the family of God. Certain behaviors mark you as a child. But he doesn't do that. Uh, he, he actually calls them to unity. And, you know, I'm just going to read. I'm going to read Romans 4, 13. So, how are we doing? Talked a lot. My mouth's a little dry. That's okay. Living water. Here we come. Okay. It was not through Abraham, or no, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing to them, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. Do we as a community have the faith of Abraham? The faith that gives us adoption and identity under Jesus. The faith that trusts in him above all things. So, okay, and let's go to Romans 8. Let's go to Romans 8, 14 through 17. 
For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit that you received brought about your adoption to son- sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what does he mean by the suffering and glory? In this chapter of Romans, which is like the climax of the whole letter, Paul inserts this idea of adoption. And he, he does it in the face of, their, they're all facing persecution. So he does this to bind them together and say that it's actually a suffering with each other. It's not this individual kind of, I'm living a hard life, but glory to God. It's like a journeying with that we get to do in community. And that we get to provide that kind of space for people when they come in. So what was once done alone gets to be done in family. So, and then the, the marker of um, belonging to that family is faith. And so we will never preach anything other than that. We'll never preach um, a list of do's and don'ts. Um, the family has specific ways of doing and don'ting. And Jesus addresses some of those um, in the chapter right before I read. At the beginning, he tells them about not sitting in a place of honor and um, inviting not just people who can pay you back, but people who can absolutely, absolutely can't pay you back. So there are some do's and don'ts to family, but faith is the main marker of what, um, what gives us belonging in this family. And then lastly, in the context of family, we get to witness redemption stories like the one that Wendy shared last week. Who, who enjoyed that last week? <laughs> and her whole family got to bear witness to that. I got to pray with Jordan and Chris Pierce right here and take communion. And he was just taken back by like how much God worked in Wendy over time. And how, in working through Wendy, God worked through her family. And that's the blessing of, of walking this with a family. I, I felt it when I sat with George and Susan to, uh, these are Sam's parents over here. Uh, so just moments before, I had to ask them a very important question. <laughs> before I asked them, for their blessing, Mary Sam. I asked them, I said, you know, I've heard the story from Sam's perspective, but I kind of want to hear from you guys, like, what it was like to take her into your life. And and they both, you know, told me the story, and they're choking up because of how much Sam means. And, and they felt called by God to do this. Um, and because of that, got to witness the transformation in Sam. And 
So I just think there's something beautiful about witnessing death to life within the family of God. And my prayer just over this group is that we get to do that together. Kick it over. This is really awkward. Okay. Let's move it there. All right. Can you guys hear me? Is that good? Hi. All right. Thanks, Caleb. Um, yeah. Everything that, every piece of scripture that Caleb said he was going to read, it just, I was like, this is it. <laughs> this is the foundation of our life. Um, please, Lord, let me talk without crying. Um, I don't even want to begin to talk about what are your gifts and how are we worshiping the Lord if you and we don't understand um, that we are invited to the table with God and that we are wanted and beloved in Christ. Um, that is the foundation, just like Caleb was so just lined out for us. Now we get to dive a little bit deeper into what that actually means for us. And I know um, personally, and just the honor of knowing stories in this room, um, that family dynamics make it really hard to understand sometimes um, our wantedness. Um, yeah. Um, because so much of our human love is conditional but the foundation of our adoption is an unconditional, sacrificial love. And what I mean by conditional versus unconditional, honestly, I think we've all experienced it in some capacity. Conditional love says, if you're good enough, if you get good enough grades, do good in sports, if you're a good enough spouse, then my love is easy to give to you. Um, but then Jesus just comes in and says, no, <laughs> No, 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 I want you. I love you. You don't have to be a certain person or thing to get my love. And that is the foundation of our whole life. So I just don't even want to start until we can kind of let that sink into our souls. And I honestly have just been really compelled by how often when Jesus shares a truth, he pairs it with a story or a parable, sometimes really confusing, but really good. <laughs> um, and I thought today I would read you a story of a little girl um, who was adopted. So I'm going to go ahead and do that for you, okay? Once there was a little girl who had a sick mom and an unavailable father. She had grown up to believe that love was conditional Conditional on how well she cleans up the wine bottles after her mom goes on a binge. Or conditional on how well she can make her dad laugh in hopes that he wouldn't go to prison again. Unconditional love was unimaginable to her. One day she found herself at a Christian summer camp. And all they talked about was this father, this good, good father that wanted to pour out unconditional love over her. And though she absolutely did not understand that, she wanted it very badly. So by the end of that camp, she accepted that invitation into the family of God, invited to his table. But like any invitation that any of us have received to a party, it's really hard to know um, what that even means. What is the party going to be like? What's it going to be like when I get there? How do I dress? You just don't know until you experience it. So the girl leaves that summer camp, and that's where she was, 
holding this piece of paper, this invitation into everlasting family. Tragically in that, as she's wrapping her mind around this new life she had been invited into, her mom died and the caretakers were stuck in their own addiction and brokenness. So again, she felt and was alone. Because she didn't understand the power that had been given to her, <laughs> she would find, she put that invitation into the back of her pocket to face the storm ahead. And one day, in a pretty normal rhythm, a friend of hers invited her to eat dinner at her parents' house. The little girl accepted the invite thinking it was just another means to get by, another way she was going to take care of herself. Little did she know what was to come would be that model and that example that she needed to understand what Jesus was inviting her into. So she walked into that house and instantly knew something was different. The warmth was tangible. The smell of the food she knew was very different than the fast food she'd been eating her whole life. She knew it would nourish her bones. There was a long, beautiful wooden table set with real plates and cloth napkins. And she had never felt this feeling before that was bubbling up inside of her. Sorry. <laughs> she was feeling wanted. These people set a place for her. They invited the stranger in. And they put out their best for her. This would not be the last dinner this young girl had with this family. Over the next year, they would go closer and closer, and every step of the way, this family would love, support, correct, and encourage this young girl into the woman that she was becoming, no matter how much she resisted. And one day, the family sat her down at that long wooden table and said, what are you doing for the rest of your life? because we want you in this family. And I really wish I could say at this moment that little girl jumped into their arms and said, Mom, Dad, thank you, I love you. And I'm sure all of us have faced moments as we're sitting in the dark when the light comes in and it's just hard to accept that it's for you. She was in such a broken state and it was hard for her to believe that someone would want her. But something deep inside of her knew that the Jesus that had invited her to the table a few years prior was for connection and for family. He was for the unity of all believers. And more, most importantly, he was for the orphans finding a home. So by faith... She said yes to joining this family and would go on a journey for years to put down her identity of orphan and put on the name of beloved. And the best part of this story doesn't end there. Now that little girl gets to make hundreds of copies of that invitation she was handed and spend the rest of her life giving them to the lost and the familyless. In Matthew 25, Jesus says this, 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you, gave, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the one of these least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whew. Thank you, God, that George and Susan, if you don't know, that is my story. <laughs> and these two incredible humans right here, they know this scripture. I'm so thankful that they know this scripture because it completely changed my life. Being invited to the table for the first time ever, being the stranger welcomed in, I am forever changed. And this is it, Genesis family. This is it. This is the invitation that we have been received, not only for you to know that uh, that unconditional love is for you, but also for those who don't know. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And what a beautiful gift that we don't have to figure this out on our own. You know, I, I, I remember being that little girl accepting that invitation, but literally having no idea what that meant. It honestly sounded kind of crazy. Um, and around a dinner table is where I learned what that meant. So as I've been preparing and praying into the, the importance of family and being around the table together, though it did change my life, what does it mean for us as a community? I kept feeling that this is our training ground. This is our place where you begin to learn that you are beloved and wanted. Each of you. And that's so true for the person sitting right next to you. That is so true for Caleb. But do I believe that with everything in my soul? And does he believe that with everything in his soul? Does Tyler, does Haley, does Dana, the people that are, mean the world to me, that I am in family with, I get the opportunity to train, to, to practice this pouring out of what's been poured out onto me, this giving out completely what has been given completely to me. So we are co-heirs with Christ, like Caleb read before, and we are in this together. And through that unity, I know 
because I've experienced it and I've seen it in each of us. I know that that light, the light of Jesus, will break the chains that are around us that say, you've done too much. You've seen too much. You're broken. No, when we are united as a family, those chains have no place here. They fall. They fall when you put a hand on your brother or your sister and you say, in the presence of Jesus, no. Those are not true over you. You are beloved. So tonight as we gather around the table, this is our opportunity to train Train in the, in the beautiful gift that we have to then take that invitation to the city, to the poor, to the family list, to the people who have no idea, just like me <laughs> when I was 15, no idea of the beauty and the life that come from the family of Jesus. So tonight when we eat together, not only let's... Let's be reminding of each other of our belovedness, of our belonging. But let's ask God to equip us tonight to bring that invitation into the world, into your workplaces, into your families. If it stops here, what's the point? <laughs> if it stops in this four walls, I'm so excited for what God is going to do through a restoration of family in this room. I know it's going to be big. <laughs> I just know it. So let's begin practicing it now. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're beloved and you're wanted and you're, you're, you're wanted at the table. Um, and we are so excited to do this journey alone, or not alone, not alone. <laughs> We're not alone, <laughs> and we're so excited that we get to start tonight around the table together. So thank you for being my family. Thank you for um, reminding me and Caleb that we're wanted, um, and I hope that we continue to do that together for a very long time. <laughs>